We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Feel like Kobe in a fourth quarter. This is the Dane Moore NBA podcast brought to you by Blue Wire Podcast coming at you Wednesday afternoon. Uh, Minnesota Timberwolves beat the Denver Nuggets on Tuesday night by 15 points. They are now one game over 500. I have Britt Robson here of MinPost to kind of, Britt, I want to start by just kind of looking back at this past month for the Wolves. Um, as we remember back into 20, the end of 2021, that was really when this team got hit hard by COVID. Um, a lot of games, no guys, none of the starters, even in the lineup. January 3rd is kind of the date where they all got back. And I've got a whole list of stats for you on, on this month. But the one that, that sort of pops most is that this team has been the number one offense in the NBA over this past month since COVID. And... It's pretty clearly well healthy and and just and just moving in the right direction from kind of like a thousand feet in the air. Where where do you start by assessing this month for the Wolves? I think I start with saying that if it ain't broke, don't fix it. And I think I think that um, the key to this obviously is depth. Um, all three of the big three have had good months, but all three have also had some uh, barren patches and uh, some injuries in, in the case of D'Lo um, and some, you know, uh, boil up uh, old troubles in the case of Cat um, and some inconsistencies, just some dropout games in the case of Ant. And I think even the losses um, have not been, you know, ridiculously embarrassing. I think that the fact that they had four home games in the month of January and that none of those games was followed up by a home game. They were isolated and they traveled a lot. Um, you know, I, I, I think that the fact that the bench has been as deep as it's been um, says a lot about what this interior of this team is like. And I give a tremendous amount of credit to that for to Chris Finch. I think, yeah, you know, I mean, not wanting to pump tires or be a shill or anything, but it, it's 
Finch is stacking some stuff on top of each other when it comes to really impressive coaching. Um, I guess if, if you go to the back to the beginning of the season, I think um, he was a little bit lost, right? Focused so hard on on defense and changing the defense in in training camp that the offense was behind. Uh, the didn't find a starting lineup for a while. Had an eleven man rotation. All those things were kind of wonky. The team starts the season. What was it? Three and six. Um, and they were, you know, they they were struggling. But since then, that defense kind of locked in. Halfway through the season, it sustained the whole way. They were a top ten defense. The offense lingered behind. He finds a new starting lineup. Plugging in Patrick Beverly, Jared Vanderbilt. That group starts thriving. The defense gets a little bit better. The offense starts to turn a corner, at least within that group. And now it's kind of extending, right? They've the, the offense has has turned a massive corner. And and uh, and that I attribute to coaching as well. This team was so stalled out offensively the first two months of the season with Cat getting double teamed. Jared Vanderbilt providing so much for them, but Jared Vanderbilt just killing them on offense because he wasn't being guarded legitimately. And it it's really, really impressive to me, man, because I thought that was broken. I, I didn't think that was fixable. They were 26th in half court offense in the first two months of the season. And now in half court offense, half court offense, they're the number one offense in the NBA over this past month. I would have never guessed that. And they're fusing that together with what was the best part of their offense, their defense (laughs) with getting trend, you know, getting steals and getting turnovers and those leading into points. The defense has dipped a little bit this month, but that, but the defense as it pertains to offense has not, they still generate the same amount of turnovers. They're still getting out on transition. They're number one in transition points per possession um, over this month as well. And, Again, a couple weeks with Finch where it took him to figure it out at the beginning of the year. It's it's a really it's a really impressive resume from him of what he's been able to do. That's that's top level. But like you're saying with the bench, keeping guys engaged, man, it would have been so easy to lose a dude like Torian Prince, right? He's one of your highest paid players. He's your second oldest player, I believe. And he kept him engaged. And now this bench stuff, like it sounds silly. It's like, oh, it's the bench, you know. No, the bench has been critical over over these past you know two weeks when they've missed Pat Bev and D'Lo and Torian Prince has been the glue of that group. Finch has leaned into a five bench guy unit where it's you know it's Nas, TP, uh, Beasley, Jalen Noel, and Jordan McLaughlin. That group was plus eighteen last night, man. They won by fifteen. They lost. The only reason they were plus eighteen is because they put in some scrubs too. Uh, I mean, you know, John McLaughlin, J-Mac was plus 33 in his first 16 minutes and they <laughs> stuck him with right. uh, Nate Knight and uh, a couple of other folks and he wound up plus 18. But let me, there was a lot there. So let me begin. at yeah, the beginning. That was a lot of, that was a lot of vomit, but it was Chris Finch. No, 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 no. I appreciate good, it. Good vomit. Yeah, yeah, yeah I agree. Um, I think whether or not, and, and, Finch has conceded that he overestimated the team's ability to hit the ground running on offense. I consider that a blessing in disguise. Uh, Hmm. I think the idea of coming into the season, defense just had to be good enough. It didn't have to be the identity. And all of a sudden it had to be the identity. 
That's how they were winning games. Um, and had that, to be. And that's why I got so excited. I mean, if you remember, like the first two weeks of the season, I was just giddy about this defense. And it was because it was their identity. I mean, it wasn't yeah. like, uh, oh, they're playing good defense until their offense catches up. Their offense, um, I could see them being in my wheelhouse of 35 and 41 wins with a, a mediocre offense, which I knew just from personnel, they were going to get to mediocre at some point in time. So the idea that Finch concentrated so much on defense and that that defense has a scrappy personality, who doesn't want to play on a scrappy defensive team? It's just a matter of whether or not you can make it work. Nobody wants to play on a scrappy defensive team that sucks because then you look <laughs> foolish. You look foolish. But if your scheme is right and the teamwork is good and you're scrappy, um, you overachieve on your talent. And I think that they found a couple of guys. Obviously, Pat Bev and Vando are the vanguard of that. But Cat and D'Lo bought in and – Jade McDaniels was good at the time he was there and has done a lot of improving in the, on that end of the court. You had a situation where your starting five was a lockdown defensive unit in terms of protecting the rim and generating turnovers. They were really pretty good. Now, obviously, the Washington Wizards game was like a real bellwether for us because we saw the Wizards go right at them, and I kept thinking, this is a, a scrawny team. This is a small team. Teams are going to beat them up. And they managed to increase the aggressiveness so it wouldn't get to that point. They began to pressure the ball. Totally. So that they could not feed the post because the, they, were, they were having just enough trouble getting rid of the ball to another wing guy. And so it, that was – a real crucial turning point. And then Fitch began to say, all right, the offense is broken. Let's see what we can do. He likes to give a lot of credit to that COVID period of time. I looked it up. The, the assists weren't noticeably much improved in that COVID time. I think what he did is he made an example out of it as a smart mm. coaching thing. He said, see what the subs could do. And the subs, of course, are all bursting with pride. Um, and they did overachieve, but they overachieved on defense as much as offense, I thought. And But the, the point was made. Finch was trying to figure out how to get the baton passing. He called it thinking too much. He didn't want to say selfish, but there were definitely times where D'Lo and, and Cat looked for their own. They've kind of all semi-admitted it in retrospect. I was going to say they have. Yeah. I mean... I don't know if they've used the word selfish, but I think all three of them have individually said, like, you know, taken too much myself, right, you know, right. and needing to trust the pass and those sorts and of so things. And so Finch had to figure out how to flip that without butting heads with his players. And so he praised the hell out of the bench. Uh, and, and the guys who came in, you know, the Jake Lehmans and the John McLaughlin's and especially the Jane McDaniels. And Joe, John McLaughlin. <laughs> he's a great guitarist for Mahavishnu uh, Orchestra. <laughs> Jordan McLaughlin. Uh, J-Mac. Yeah, J-Mac. Yeah. And when I said J-Mac the other night, he said, which one? What kind of bullshit is that? <laughs> we established this. Um, 
you know, I, I think about for me in in hindsight, as you know, my, my biggest concern about this team going into the season was undersized, lack of physicality, right. not not an effort. I mean, we even knew we knew Vando was gonna battle, you know. We we knew that these guys were gonna be physical and that they were they were long and those sort of things, but it was just But they were gonna get in trouble if they battled. I mean, that's the problem. They did, you know, <laughs> which they did. Yeah. Um, but I think it's interesting when you, you bring up that that Wizards game, and that was a turning point in adjusting up the aggressiveness of this team. And I, I mentioned this to you last night. I didn't I didn't play play you the clip, but I asked I asked Michael Malone about the Wolves defense this year and how Chris Finch said in training camp the Denver model of what they did with Jokic is is something that you know that they want to that the wolves wanted to emulate right and and malone goes well first of all i'll, I'll tell you it's always flattering to when anybody wants to <laughs> copy something you're doing but he's like i don't see anything similar between the way that Timberwolves guard and the way that we guard and he was like you know the only thing is they defend pick and roll coverage similarly which is which we which do I, and i said this last thing which is not a small thing, but I think I tend to overly focus on that, or maybe all of us who don't have a real technical, technical right. coaching background do, but obviously Michael Malone does. And what he just talked about was, you know, the back line and the scramble and the ability to, you know, execute that low man concept. And that, that aggression there on the, not at the point of attack, but on the back line is what has bolstered this team's physicality, right? Right. And, and that is what has made the Washington game not happen right. again. That's right for for the rest of the year. And they've their pick and roll coverage at the point of attack is similar to the Denver Nuggets. What they do at the back end is is completely different because they have completely different personnel. But not to be able so to act, much. see that's what's crazy to me. I, no, I, man, I when understand it's, how um, Denver and the Wolves could be. I mean, Aaron Gordon and J- and Vando are not that far apart in terms. Of- no, the difference is like Compazzo and right, Bones smart. Highland right, right. and and dudes like that. When the when the Chronic Wolves have shooters. right, right, the Wolves have a Jade McDaniel's who's who's at least long. Right. Like and Malik Pat Beasley Bell. understands the concept right. and is is strong, right. even if he isn't big. You know, there, there's just some there's just some, and and Torian Prince is is, right. is a good example there too. And it's that physicality. From your sh- literally, your like more middling size players, that is up because Cat and Vando couldn't get any more physical than they already were. Right at at the beginning, you know what I mean? No, like at I, the beginning I totally of the year. agree with that. And and so that that's you know that's the that's the turning point. That's the the difference with this defense, and and it's always the defense all year, all fifty one games has has translated into offense. Right. By leading, I mean, by leading the league in in turnovers, I mean that that's one thing that has, even though the defense as a whole has dropped, the Wolves in terms of turnovers generated this month versus you know the the previous two months, it's the same. They're, right. they're generating the, the their their first in turnovers drawn the first two month turnover percentage the first two months and their second in turnover percentage this this past past month. So so that hasn't changed. I think that's what's a lot of what is encouraging to me about the this past month is not that much is different. It's just better. Right. You know, and it goes to offense as well. It's kind of crazy, man. If you look up their like 
shot frequency. Exactly. Frequency not, of threes. Not that different. I mean, it's like no different. The, like but the, the, the twos, frequency, the twos are so much more efficient. That's exactly. what I noticed. I mean, what they're doing and the assists are up three, three possessions. I mean, three, three, those go uh, hand three times of possession. And it's, I, it's the mid-range, man. It's the mid-range. Part of it is the mid-range, and part of it is moving without the ball. I mm. mean, this team was not moving without the ball. They still run quote-unquote isos. It's just that the isos morph into plays because people are moving without the ball. It used to Jade be... Jade McDaniels, right? That's a perfect example, not perfect just chilling example, in the corner. Perfect example. Yeah. I mean, of, of what he's doing, he's still not a mm-hmm. great finisher. Uh, doing it but at least or he's shooter. doing it. He, yeah he's he's right. being an example um and Jalen noel is really good at moving without the ball i mean there are guys that do this and um and you're beginning to see it now um and that first of all i mean let's get back to finch for a second because i really do think the guy is consistent he has what he calls first principles His first principles on defense are pressure the ball and protect the rim. Those are his first principles. And so, and they do that remarkably well. His first principles on offense are move the ball and move without the ball. And they weren't doing that when they were bad. And now they're doing it. Now he, he also added in because it was so glaring that they're finishing. They weren't finishing and that's another reason why they're they're doing well, you know, in terms of twos now, in addition to the mid-range. And putting Noel in the lineup as a mid-range guy kind of freed, unlocked other people. Torian Prince has a, a, a decent mid-range. Um, and I also think Delo has been unchained uh, to, to do a lot more mid-range stuff. Well, and, and I would say to the finishing, too, Vanderbilt oh, made your oh, arrow up. Oh around finishing and cat too Uh, right like cat has been more decisive and effective in the post because he's facing i can't stand mm -hmm. that back to the post uh he's not a crab dribbler man when you see cat starting to crab dribble um you know i mean the defenses are the defense is licking their chops they've already won yeah right right, you're gonna get one of those sling passes or you're going to get stray voltage, or you're going to get uh, some kind of uh, weird over dribbling thing, you know, in the turnaround jump yeah. hook. When Cat is doubled and he hit, tries that turnaround jump hook, I bet you his shooting percentage drops 40% from when he has one guy on him with that turnaround jump hook. Mm-hmm. He just gets rattled. Right. He gets rattled. And so I'm glad they got rid of that. He passes out of it now. Also, they very rarely post him up with his back to the basket. And I'm glad they got rid of that. I, it didn't make sense to me. It, it actually has never really made that much sense. Um, it helped a little bit when Taj Gibson was there and Jimmy, you know, was making the passes because he's a – but even – I remember Jeff Teague couldn't feed the post. Well, some of that yeah. was on Teague, obviously, but some of it was but on some of it was Cat. Yeah. Cat Ceiling, doesn't yeah. present a good target in the post. He's just not – that kind of player. And well, and he doesn't stay in the post. He gets pushed out to 17. So and also no shame in any of that because the guy right. is, you know, he's he's a threat all over the court. But I'm glad they're using him better. Uh, you know, when I write, I'm gonna write on Friday. I'm not gonna write today, obviously, 
Um, and, and by the time folks hear this, I'll be doing a pregame Zoom tomorrow, but I'm also going to write on Friday. But I do, I will hearken back to my preseason piece basically said the three reasons to be excited about this Timberwolves team was Ant, Finch, and Depth. And they came in at different times. Finch mm. has been the constant. I think he hasn't, I think he's had a, just a pretty incredible year. Um, Ant came in a little later, but arrived um, in, you know, probably, you know, in December, but certainly in January. Um, right. And the bench arrived big time, I'd say, in the last two weeks. And right. it's, it's, it's since Pat Bev and D'Lo went down. It's seven games, yeah. really. Yeah. yeah, you're right. And and some of that is Torian Prince, you know, finding himself. Some of that is, um, you know, McLaughlin is is a weird little dude, man. Uh, John or Jordan? <laughs> well, John can play the hell out of the guitar. But I'm talking about Jordan right now. Uh, I, I think that um, he he really trips Nas into another sphere, and uh, I also think. Have you noticed how much- you you and you and Nas when you were talking about it last night? I don't think either of you could have smiled any bigger <laughs> when you were talking about the Nas and J Mac pick and roll combo and that's just like yes love that <laughs> he said i can oh, always tell i can always tell you know when he's yeah. gonna especially single side pick and roll which he you know i mean yep. and tell me that isn't like it is a it's a thing of beauty um right but here's the part that to me indicates that the bench is just humming right now how many times I think it had to have been at least four times and it might've been as many as six where a guy was going for what looked like, even if it was going to be a contested layup, it was going to go in or he's going to get the foul and he dumped it off to somebody. Mm. I mean, that takes two things that takes a guy moving without the ball, but not getting in the way of the drive, which is really tough to do. I mean, that's sophisticated moving without the ball. And it also takes the guy being unselfish enough to drop it off. And right. and the dude to catch it, man. That sounds silly. <laughs> no, it's not silly. We've you watched got Jared enough. Vanderbilt, man. So and I mean, and even I mean McDaniels right. hasn't historically had strong right. hands. Right. You know, Nas has a tendency to fumble some of those. Exactly. Again, we're, those are the players we're talking about right. in these actions, right? right? And those Prince. are the finishers. And Prince is in yeah. the middle of that both ways. He's in the middle of moving mm -hmm. without the ball, and he's in the middle of moving the ball. Um, right. I'm just stunned. I mean, you know, it was it was two weeks ago. I was saying if they make a move at the deadline. Let's dump Torian Prince's 13 million and see what if we get a second round pick and you know another expiring or something. Right. You know? Let let's actually let's actually take a break there because I, I I want to get into as now here we are, what is a it? Week. It's the second today? Yeah, yeah a, a week until the deadline. So a quick break, and then I want to talk about what changes, if any, make sense for this team. Today's episode is brought to you by 20 by 20 Solutions, a Minneapolis-based technology consulting company that works with your business to help you build and sustain success. A great front office puts together a winning team with a coach who can put together a winning strategy. When leadership does its job and it all comes together, that means success. 
Success in business isn't any different. Business leaders need to find the right mix of technology, strategy, and talent to make things really work. And that's never been truer for growing companies. 20 by 20's team has helped grow companies from thousands of customers to tens of millions by helping businesses across a wide range of industries, from consumer technology and healthcare to manufacturing and even human spaceflight. Reach out to Clark and Ben, who are Wolves fans and fans of this show, by emailing them at team at 20by20solutions.com. That's T-E-A-M at 20x20solutions.com. And their team will review your needs and help you put together a plan before you need to make any commitments. 20 by 20 solutions, technology, workflow, architecture, strategy. They're your sixth man on a winning team. All right, we are back with Britt Robson of MinPost talking about the Minnesota Timberwolves at the 51 game mark of the season. They're 26 and 25. Um, Up to Britt, 11th on offense for the season and 11th on defense, an exact tie. Um, when you factor out Rosas, garbage, Rosas garbage time used minutes. to say, remember, Mark of a playoff right. team, the first yeah. goal is top 10 on offense and defense. Top 10, top 10, he said. And then he and went top five, and, and top five at the uh, bottom 10. Or <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, that was That was the first sign of the scrambling, yeah. the scrambling defense. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but, okay, so so here we are um, at, at the point – of the season where, you know, it's, it's time to make decisions on the roster and it happens to be the time of the season where the most likely players to be traded, the bench are playing their best. And, and that, that leads to, that leads to an interesting collision here. I've taken some time kind of like hitting on each of those guys in the, you know, just after after some of these games on the gamer pods of like, you know, in what ways does it make sense or doesn't it make sense to trade a Torian Prince, a Malik Beasley, a Nas Reed, those sort of guys. And again, not even just today. This is I mean, like I, I haven't ever been at the point with Malik Beasley or Torian Prince that it is a no brainer to to trade those guys. And I and we can we can get into Malik. That one requires you know, some more, some more nuance, but it, it's just, it's, it's on that razor's edge, right? right? Of it's gonna, there's going to be an impact of, tr- you're not trading zeros, right? You right. know, you can look at Malik's contract and you can say 15 million. He's not worth 15 million. You can look at Torian Prince, 13 million. He's not, th- he's not worth 13 million, but those guys aren't worth nothing. Right. This team desperately needs a shooter like Malik Bees, like, like Malik Beasley. And, they found utility of a chameleon, like chameleon, <laughs> like Torian Prince, chameleon. <laughs> um, you know, it, so it's it, it's it's just an interesting sort of place to sit here, where it's decision time. On uh, normally, you think about trades of making a move of what skill set are we going to get back. I think it's important to factor in these contracts you're going to be trading out. This isn't Alan Crabb, you know, right, this is, exactly. this isn't just, this isn't just fodder, you know, and I don't know. And where that's just, Chris Finch. Right, right. But where are you at with, and where do you think Chris Finch is at in making a change with this well, roster? a month ago, I was saying stand Pat, so Jesus, I'm standing Pat, like I'm, I'm cemented Pat now, you know, but. Uh, but man, a change also makes sense too. No. In one area, which I've already talked about. Continue. I'm cutting. Uh, I think 
the Minnesota Timberwolves do not have the emotional and and historical bankroll to gamble right now. They just don't. Um, right now, they have sought and mostly achieved a synergy in this roster that is greater than the talent. Uh, they are a happy group. From one to ten, they all seem fairly comfortable with their roles. That's remarkably rare in the NBA. Um, they are in the process of quickening. A quickening team is the most dynamic in terms of change. If you start to mess with quickening right now, you can have a huge impact. It may be a very positive impact, but it's more likely when you're taking a quickening roster, a roster that is gelling in a synergistic way, and you take pieces out of that, it's more likely that it will have a negative impact. I'm not saying it's guaranteed it will, but the odds aren't great. And they're not getting rid of their top three, probably. I mean, if if they make if they Certainly. if they swing a Ben Simmons deal at this point in time, you know, I'll just have to nod my head and go, okay, you know, I mean, here we go. I'm not saying I would actually rather have a huge deal right now of 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 a Ben Simmons type if you make it a good deal. If I look at it and I go, yeah, that you know, that's that's a good deal, you know. Let's say it's D'Lo and Jade McDaniels for Ben Simmons. You know, uh, I can see how that works. You know, um, I, as I said, I wouldn't do it, but I would rather see that kind of deal than. But isn't that exactly the quickening you're talking about? I mean, you're, you're talking about the group one to ten, and it's. I'm not necessarily saying D'Angelo Russell is like a, the same caliber player of Ben Simmons. He hasn't historically been, but. He's a pretty critical part of this culture that you've been without a doubt, without a doubt, and 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 so yes, that would be a huge gamble. I I happen to think that um, I've always thought that Ben Simmons between Carl Anthony Towns and Anthony Edwards is about as good a situation as you could have for both the player and the organization. But remember what I said in the beginning: I don't want to change. I'm standing pat. What I am saying is monkeying around. If you're going to monkey around, um, I would make it a big splash and I wouldn't do it. I mean, let's, let's just state that right up front. I okay, wouldn't okay. do it, but it was just your, your comments were trending in the opposite well, direction. That's because thinking... I, if, if somebody really wants to mess this up and say, we're going to scramble this, but we've got a coach that has proven he can mold things and he believes in this. Obviously, you don't do it if Finch doesn't want to do it. Right. And you have a situation where you've got a lot of pieces that are doing well. I assume that a guy like Gupta and a guy like uh, Finch, you know, now if it comes from Mark Laurie and whoever, you know, he's listening to, and they're the ones that make this trade and it's Simmons, I don't want it. That's bad. I don't want it. That's you know, well, that would I want the guys terrible. who are responsible for what's happened right now. You know, Mark Laurie is not responsible for what's happened right now. 
and mm -hmm. and and so and and neither is uh, the new CXO, you know. So, uh, but there is a case to be made for a monster deal if you want to swing for the fences on that. I think. And Why not just do it in the summer? I think it's going to be a gamble. I would not. I mean. We'll see how it if is you're going to do it. I just why now? Yeah. I, I don't. Well, because it's the trade deadline. It may be that they are really, really sick of Ben Simmons and you can get him for a big discount, you know, or something. But that's been the yeah. thinking all along from other teams. I personally think they'll probably get traded and it won't be to the Wolves. Uh, you know, I think right. that's what's going to happen. But let's get back to my original principle, which is that. When you have a team that is trending upward with harmony and synergy and a essentially first year coach in terms of training camp on through and seven year veterans who are hungry to be validated and a second year guy who is obviously ascendant and some quality role players. Um, let's say we made a deal two weeks ago and you traded that Torian Prince for the Torian Prince you have now, everybody go, what an incredible deal. See, we knew <laughs> true, we should have made that deal. You know? So my point is standing pat with a quickening group does make you better provided that everybody holds. If everybody keeps it together, um, there haven't been a lot of trade rumors. You know, people haven't on the Wolves haven't had to respond to, hey, you know, do you yep. think you're going? And that's the kind of thing that will eat at you. If you're Torian Prince uh, and you've been kind of sucking it up as the eighth man um, and the only you're only the eighth man because other people got hurt at the time. You've been kind of out of the rotation on occasion. Uh, you're the, like the third highest, fourth highest paid player on the team. Um that could really, that could mess with you. Um, so I would stand pat for all kinds of reasons. Uh, and right. I, I can do you, agree in the summertime, you know where you're going to be picking in the draft. You, right. you know uh, where D'Lo and Cat are attitudinally about denying them deals, which would be my position. Um, a lot can happen in that time that may corrode this wonderful thing you have or may enhance it. And, and, right. and you having that extra information can improve your ability to make a good trade. I think the question is, can you stand pat while also making a small tweak that addresses what I believe is this team's number one issue and that's defensive rebounding. Mm -hmm. And and, and I look at it and I see three second round picks in this upcoming draft, which that is actually value that is going to decrease by the time you come to the summer. You don't need three second round picks when when you hit draft night. Right. A lot of times when that's the case and a team has numerous seconds, you end up needing to dump those, sell those, tr try and trade them out into the future because you don't want to use them. Yep. That is actually a currency that is going to decrease in value over time. So I think if you're Sasha and Kupta, you're looking at that as an asset you almost need to trade. Now, can you can you trade two or three of those, maybe one or two, whatever, trade some of those second round picks to address your rebounding ailments while also 
without throwing off the good juju right. we're, we're talking right. about here. And what I brought up with you in the past is, you know, replacing Nas Reed. And and that's, you know, that's the most direct and obvious place to, you know, to make a defensive rebounding improvement on this team. Nas isn't for his strengths. That's not what he's good at. Right. I, I just wonder, can you address backup center and keep Nas too? I don't know if you have to trade Nas. That's what I was kind of at before where I was like, well, in the trade, it'll be Nas Reed, Jake Lehman, and two seconds. Like, that's kind of what happened last year when the Nuggets got JaVale McGee, Mm -hmm. right? And, you know, something, you know, something along those lines. And I don't know how part of that is me being like, oh, I think Nas is, you know, important to the culture of the group. He's, I think, the third longest tenured Timberwolf be up outside of Cat and Josh Okogie. That that matters to some extent. Yeah, I agree. And and I just personally like believe in him as a player, and you have him again for next year if you want. He was part of that Iowa Wolves contingent. Exactly, and I I think I think some of that matters. So I don't know. I'm not I'm not white knuckling holding on to Nas Reed, but I wonder if you just can and you can replace him, and then you just remove Nas from the rotation at least you know for for the time. Does Brooklyn have any picks left? I think Brooklyn has like covered his bear on picks, aren't they? I would assume much, I don't how know much does exactly. Make? Probably about two, three million. You know, Rookie deal. If there was a boy to you know Nas for and a couple of second rounders uh for Claxton. For Clax. Um, you know, but because Brooklyn has LMA at least for a little while, and they have Blake Griffin, and they are in win now mode. Um, mm. You know, I don't know. Uh, I, I, again, uh, let me read off some names for you. Okay. I just went through by defensive rebounding percentage. Okay. Of where is Claxton? Dudes. By the way, do you have it? I. It's not on this list. Okay. Which means it's probably not very good because okay. these are the top ones. Fair enough. These are just cheap-ish dudes who are high in terms of their defensive rebound percentage. And that I think kind of fit what we're talking uh-huh. about here. Moses Brown from Dallas. Uh-huh. Gorgie Jang. The Kings have a boatload of dudes like this. Chemezi Metu, Rashawn Holmes, Tristan Thompson, even Alex Len. Yeah. Dudes like dudes like that. Or, or Damian Jones. Too. They have too many centers. They have way too like, many. Right. On, on, on that team. Uh, Kelly Olynyk is is up there. Some he's gone Mo though. Bamba. Isn't he? Is he out for the year? Kelly Olynyk. Yeah. Oh, I don't know that. I was I was just looking into oh, that's Detroit. Okay. Yeah, right, right. Because they're they're coming up with um, Paul Millsap. Um, I I think you know that's a guy who's who's going to be traded. Bismack Biombo. Um, he's obviously taken on a, a role in Phoenix, but that could you know go away with eight and back. Um, with JaVale McGee coming back for them. Da- down the line, Trey Lyles, Mason Plumley, Larry Nance Jr. is a is a bigger name. Nerlens Noel. And then one who doesn't have a great defensive rebound percentage, but I think is kind of interesting, is Daniel Tice yeah. in Houston. Yeah. He's on a four-year deal and is kind of out of the Houston rotation, which is scary. Um, and, and you know, in a, in a couple different ways. Right. But 
I don't I don't even really say that to I I don't I mean that's literally just just a list of yeah, dudes but yeah. that's kind of what like, I I'm, I'm name the first five guys again there was somebody in the first five guys that was interesting to me Oh I know it's going to be it's Gorgie Jank No 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 Gorgie <laughs> oh, okay. Gorgie and Cat are going to be oil and water at this point right. Moses Brown Gorgie Jang Chemezi Metu Rashawn Holmes Mo Bamba I also said the Kings guys Tristan Thompson um, Damian Jones, Alex Len, those guys. Yeah. Was it one of them? I don't know. It might have been. Uh... These aren't sexy names. No. These are literally dudes you're just trying to get in and get some boards in 15 minutes a game. Right. Yeah. But can also probably run with you. Like, I, I kind of like Moses Brown, the player, but like that archetype of big who's just plotting and can only play drop. Right. Those sort of things. I don't that think was that's why I a good fit. I was trying to think of people who, um, I guess, uh, Richard Holmes for Malik Beasley would be an interesting mm-hmm. deal. It would be. Rashawn is shorter than Nas, but much he's better not a big it. center. A, a much a much better rebound, a much better player overall. Right. I, I Holmes Holmes is a good player. Um, he also, I, I've Wolves play the Kings coming up. I've watched the Kings last two games and, and I was kind of looking at it through some, through this lens of, I'm like, man, they got a lot of centers here and, and Holmes is, is the best of them. Yes. By far. Uh, Alex, is, sucks. Uh, Alex Lund does suck, but he's just, a, I don't know. Put him on there. He's a big Rashawn Holmes plays in the mid range a ton. He lurks in that 15 foot radius. Right. And I think something we've learned with Cat is that's dangerous to put him there. You know, I think back to three, four years ago and Cat and Gorgie Jang literally running into each other right. once or twice a game on offense. Um, and I think you could have some of that with Holmes. But you're not when we're talking about dudes like this who are backup, backup centers, um, you're not gonna have a perfect fit. Also, they're probably not gonna play with Cat at all. So I don't want to get that's what I was too thinking. caught up right. with it. Right. But Holmes is at that level kind of more inching towards the Miles Turner sort of thing, where now you're talking about a big that you're bringing in, not only to be Cat's backup, but also to play, you know, half of his minutes alongside Cat and half of his minutes alongside Jared Vanderbilt. And it's that type of thing that I'm concerned about when you talk about um, wanting to maintain continuity right. with this team. Um, I, I think I had somebody email me about it because I, I was like, have very much backpedaled off of my interest in Miles Turner. And and that's not because I don't I think Miles Turner's I, I really like no, Miles he's Turner very good. as a player. But he does but wipe my, out Vando. He does he, and and somebody emailed me, they're like, oh well you could play all three of them, you know, 30 minutes <laughs> each and you could rotate. I'm like, it's not, it's not that, no. you know, to me at least it's it's not, you know, it's it's not that simple. And you at even if you could finesse that rotation in some sort of way. You've now thrown off the rhythm. Which of one of those three is coming off the bench? Yeah, Vando, I would assume. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. I mean, that's a great way to reward like the talisman of your defensive identity right now. Right, and that's crazy to say that it's like the idea of bringing Vando off the bench is a bad has... idea. But remember, even Finch at the beginning of the year when he was talking about the fifth starter of this team, he's like, "We don't have a fifth guy in this team who is a starting caliber player." So he's like. Whoever it is or whoever's yeah, coming off the bench, it doesn't really matter. <laughs> I, I know, but it's like, 
yeah, it, it's it's kind of a proof that this is, you know, right. this is where Vando's at. Right. And they've made the cat and Vando thing work, as as we were just talking about before. So I don't know. That's that's my assumption of what's going to happen at, at the deadline is they are going to oh, I have two. I have two kind of types of trades is two seconds um, with Jake Lehman for like and maybe some other fodder for like a five million dollar backup center in, in, in that sort of range. Or I think the more open one and confusing is the Malik Beasley angle and trading Malik Beasley in some sort of package that also brings you back a shooter. And and so it's kind of like trading Beasley for two guys, probably like you get back like Aaron Neesmith in in a trade with Boston where like Josh Richardson and Aaron Neesmith and you've now gotten rid of Beasley but not completely gotten rid of shooting because Neesmith comes in as a shooter for you in a in a probably a smaller role in that sort of way like that's what I'm I guess that's what I'm looking at hey, with the Beasley type of trade is getting back a shooter is really important what I would like to see and this is probably not realistic I would like to see, again, all this is a caveat that I'm fine with them standing pat. I really, yeah. that's my number one option. So anybody who hears anything that I say beyond that, understand <laughs> that I'm not suggesting this is preferable to the status quo. But what I would say is I would package Beasley and the number one pick for an expiring and a better number one pick. See, I don't, I mean, I don't, well, I don't know. I don't Oklahoma know if I agree City with that because. They have a million of them. They have a million of them. Give us sure. one of those number one. No, picks. that's the dump. That's the dump Beasley. You're talking about the dump Beasley thing. Well, and and I don't think I agree with the salary. dump Beasley. That's true. No, I mean, it's, there's a case for it. Of course, if you can, if you can improve your pick, I mean, it'd be like. Well, I don't even, and OKC, I don't even think Derek Favors is expiring. So he's what the you same could say as, is, you could say to OKC, you know, let's say, I don't know how many firsts they have, but you say the second highest value of your first is hmm. what we'll get. You can have this one and you can have Beasley. Why would they do that? Because they like Malik Beasley. Uh, See that, and that's a, that's a huge factor in all this. I think the type of team that's going to like Malik Beasley is a team that's trying to add shooting. I think OKC like a, a guy is who not a start. great shooting team. Yeah, but they don't care I think about they're 30th anything. in the NBA in offense. But they don't care by choice. Well, again, I, I think if they could still have a first would, that is not an absurd first. Let's, I mean, best case scenario, the Wolves would pick like 22nd or something. They would need to be interested in Beasley for next year. Oh, yeah. But Beasley has two more years, doesn't he? Well, yeah. I mean, he has the, the team option in the, the, the fourth All year. All the better. Team. But, yeah. Yeah, and I do think Beasley would kind of thrive on a bad Beasley team like he did when Minnesota was a bad a team. place where he's starting and yeah. chucking. Yeah. Yeah, I, I don't know, man. I, I just, from a Wolves standpoint, I don't love the dump Beasley thing because I think you've now messed up the status quo 
in that you're even though Beasley has not been a good shooter, you now have less shooting. That is on, the least injurious damage to the status quo, in my opinion. I don't disagree with that. But I don't. I, just think, I mean, again, I'm in favor of status quo. And I think Malik Beasley may turn around and shoot 44% from deep for the rest of the year. You know, I mean, it's entirely possible. It's entirely possible. I don't think it is given the threes that he's taking. They And also the trajectory really sucks right now. I don't know what happened to him, yeah. but the guy does not have an arc on his shot anymore. I mean, he's shooting KG shots. The problem is KG was 7-1 and Malik Beasley's like 6'4", 6'5". Right, right. There's also this like nature of the shots that Beasley takes that are kind of like break us out of a funk. We need this. Right, and then they don't go in. <laughs> well, that I, that's the given <laughs> but i mean don't he, go in he and mcdaniels are the, the guys mm-hmm. that the defense is plotting to get the ball to uh now it with, is interesting how beasley is starting to not even be guarded as a shooter and when he is guarded it's interesting how he's now putting the ball on the floor i mean i again Beasley's had some warts, obviously. We've talked about them. Uh, they've bothered you more than they've bothered me. But I do think, I come back to the fact, no drugs at all, no alcohol, no dope, no anything. At his age and his lifestyle, that's, that's a son of a bitch. That's a hard road, I think. And... In addition to that, he's had to deal with a lot of adversity this year compared to last year and the year before in terms of he got paid, 100%. you know, he's getting, you know, big money, uh, not ridiculously more money than he had offered to him originally in Denver that he turned down. But still a good solid, you know, $60 million is nothing to you know sneeze at. So... And yes, the last option is his. Is it the teams or his? Team. Okay, team. So he's got three years. Okay. But at the end of the day, he's he's eating a lot of uh whoa. He's he said, you know, he he obviously showed up at camp overweight, and it was a lot of it was because, you know, he was tied up with all his legal stuff and that legal stuff is going to dog him for a while longer so again yeah you know i mean and as you put it like it's like it would be it's the variable to remove it makes it makes sense to remove given all the baggage and all those things that you're saying and that it just isn't fitting it it is you're right it is the least injurious thing to the status quo i guess the point i'm just trying to make is just from a purely like the guys you got to play, the type of players you right. got to play. This right. team needs a six-seventh man shooter, shooter. Like Jalen Noel can is we a count scorer. Noel? I know he's not. Like, Jalen Noel has been awesome, but he's been, but he's a thirty-three percent. You know, even over this awesome stretch, right. he's just not. He has a worse three-point percentage than Beasley does. It's not. That's not his game. He's more at the basket. He's a more of a mid-range. Okay, player. so let me ask you this. Given the system they currently play, in which defense is a significant component of their offense, 
and they get out and run, is re-signing Torian Prince to that 13 to $15 million a year range a better slot for that guy if Prince does manage to make 38% of his threes? Well, it wouldn't be that expensive, Brent. I mean. It might be. No, 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 no. Torian Prince isn't getting more than the mid-level this offseason, no matter who it's, what team it's. I don't know. I mean, if, 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 yeah, you're probably right. I mean, we are talking about him at the peak, maybe of his career <laughs> in the last say. week, you know. Um, but I do think, to my greater point, which I guess kind of strengthens my point, can you cover Beasley's role with Torian Prince? Um, what are you saying? He can't guard people maybe, that Beasley can guard? <laughs> I highly doubt that. Yeah, I think it's just the, like, we've talked about this with Torian Prince where he's not exclusively a catch-and-shoot guy. He gets – he doesn't have just, like, a trigger-squeeze mentality on the perimeter like Beasley does. And that's what I'm talking about. I, I think having a guy of that mold is important. Torian Prince attacks a lot off of that. And and that's not bad. I just think it's kind of a different role. Just like I think Jalen Noel has a kind of different okay, role but, than Beasley does but too. But my point is when they've been humming this time, the three doesn't happen at, until like the fourth pass. We're, what, we, what we used to see is we used to see a lot of basic catch and shoot. We used to see ISOs right. drive and kick and th- that guy would catch it on the second pass. Right. I think there is something to getting the ball whipped to you in the slot on pass four of a gorgeous play versus pass two of a gorgeous play that makes you shoot better. Hmm. And so I think the the difference between Beasley and Prince is that Prince makes that third or fourth pass rather than that second pass. Uh, And and at the end of the day, like, this is there isn't an easy solution with with Beasley, so maybe that is the best imperfect solution. You know, I, I think you might be, I think you might be right there. I'm just noting as everybody as I can with finger to the wind is pounding the table to trade Beasley. I'm just trying to point out that there is value in that role. Couldn't agree on more. This team. Couldn't agree more. Yeah. And as, but Malik isn't filling it. You're right. Malik isn't doing. That's what I'm it, saying. So. I am saying stand pat. But I'm, in, I'm enjoying yeah. the conversation as long as everybody <laughs> remembers my caveat to begin this thing, right. which is that I want to stand pat and see what happens to this quickening team. But I don't want to get to the point where if they make a move in a week, that I'm immediately down on it. My position has been clear for six weeks. You know, I mean, I've been, for- I wrote a column, I think in maybe late November, it might've been early December or whatever. But I said this team should stand pat. Um, I guess it was in January because I said a month before the trading deadline. But even so, the point being. um, The point being before this ambush that the team has been on particularly offensively. And Um, I mean, look, uh, you want a break so we can talk about uh, how fantastic their schedule looks right now or something? How did you know? How did you know? <laughs> I've got to figure you out. <laughs> All right, we'll be back with Britt in a second. 
We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. You know, if I would have applied myself, I could have gone to the NBA. You think so? Yeah, I think so. But it's just like, it's been done. You know, I didn't want to, I was like, I don't want to be a follower. Hi, I'm Jason Concepcion. And I'm Shay Serrano. And we are back. We have a new podcast from Wondery. It's called Six Trophies. Woo! And it's the f-ing best. Each week, Shay Serrano and I are combing through all the NBA storylines, finding the best, most interesting, most compelling stories, and then handing out six pop culture themed trophies for six basketball related activities. Trophies like the Dom- Dominic Toretto, I live my life a quarter mile at a time trophy, which is given to someone who made a short-term decision with no regard for future consequence. Or the Christopher Nolan Tenet trophy, which is given to someone who did something that we didn't understand. Catalina Wine Mixer trophy. Ooh, the Lauren Hill, you might win some, but you just lost one trophy. And what's more, the NBA playoffs are here, so you want to make Six Trophies your go-to companion podcast through all the craziness. Follow Six Trophies on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. Listen ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus. All right, we're back with Britt Robson in post to discuss how fantastic the schedule is coming up. And I, I think it's it's either an opportunity or a trap, mm-hmm. right, Britt? Yeah. I think it's both. It's, it's yeah, Detroit, both Detroit, Sacramento, Sacramento. Both will happen. I mean, they'll probably I, go three and one. Yeah, I think that's And the, people will just the wring goal. their hands and, you know, ah, oh, screw them. Same old wolves. Ah, you know, it, it just, it makes me laugh. You know, I mean, it just, right. all these people, Charles Barkley and Kenny Smith, who couldn't pull an opinion out of their ass on the bottom 15 teams in the NBA, if you paid them and they do get paid plenty to just do that basic homework that they don't do. Right. Basically we're saying, Charles Barkley says, the problem is they let too many guys shoot. And Kenny, you know what the other problem is, Britt, is the Wolves are a top 15 team in the NBA. <laughs> they aren't a bottom 15 team. Yeah, well, th- there was a guy in my mentions on Twitter who said it perfectly. Um, I, I hope I can, I hope it was a guy by the name of Hot Carl Malone. I really want to uh, essentially <laughs> give this guy credit because it was his insight and it was dead on. He was saying that that show, that Shaq Kenny Barkley Ernie show turns half the NBA into the Washington generals. I mean, can you imagine how stupid the league is to think that that's a good thing that half the teams in the NBA, they openly mock 
as being nothing, as being like, ah, and it's like, yeah, it's the casual guy's show to watch, either that or somebody who happens to like their sense of humor, uh, mm-hmm. you know, and I would only say that because yeah, just Jay straight Frederick entertainment basketball and he likes the show incredibly enough, mm-hmm. but, you know, no accounting for taste, but back to the point, Kenny Smith said they don't have an identity. It's such bullshit. Such bullshit. Charles Barkley says they're the Golden State's a good team, the Timberwolves a bad team. There's your analysis, you know. You know, it's like <laughs> he literally said, There's your analysis, you know. He's proud of his ignorance. And so um, when people are proud of their ignorance, you know, they are easily mocked and I don't forget their laziness. You know, I disrespect them. I think they're disrespected. They should be disrespected. And I, where was I going with this? Well, I, I was gonna, <laughs> I'm really interested to see. I'm really interested to see how you I tie this I into the to Detroit get that Pistons. Oh, oh, I know. What no, it was. no, you're, you're not it was. wrong. It was about you're not the wrong. Schedule. It was about the schedule. Yeah. The fact that. Um, they're playing the Washington Generals in the yeah, next four no, games. No, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, but also this whole idea that fans, a lot of fans were saying, you know, they're right. Barkley and Kenny are right. You know, we didn't beat Golden State in Golden State, you know, in the middle of our long road trip. And then we didn't beat Phoenix. People were saying it the next night. We didn't beat Phoenix. And our defense is terrible. And Oh, things have fallen apart, and it just get a grip, you know. This, you know what, Britt? It, it, it's this whole past. So that you're, you're talking, we're talking about the the past month, right? And what yeah. we're talking about the whole time is it's broadly been a success, ten and five since January third, and it was the time where I mean, we came on here, everyone was talking about it, like this is a really hard schedule right. coming up for the Wolves. A lot of road games, a lot of games against right. the Phoenixes, Golden States, Brooklyn's, all those teams like that. What happened in that time, and this is normal across the league, I'm not making an ex- excuse or a justification right. for it, but they caught these teams without dudes, caught Brooklyn without KD, caught Utah without Gobert and Mitchell. You know, they caught even even the, some of the games they lost Phoenix without Aiton, Golden State without Draymond. Like there's been almost every single team they've played along this month long stretch has been without a, a pretty important body blazers without dame like and and that is in a lot of ways like the way of the nba this year the sort of the status quo but what can happen is you can have an upcoming stretch where you actually get unlucky and are playing teams at full strength and i think that's what's now it's weak opponents but i think that's what's coming up with well, Detroit, Detroit and is, Sacramento. Cade is playing much better after he was out for a while. He got hurt last night, though. Oh, he... <laughs> yeah. I don't know how serious. I just started watching only the beginning of the game. But Detroit, I, I don't. Detroit I, I don't playing, know. What... They're playing well. They they just they walked on some team. Uh, was it Utah? Cle- Cleveland. Cleveland. That's right. That's right. Yeah. But it's my my, my point is is like Detroit stinks. But Detroit at full strength stinks less. And Jeremy Grant has missed. He came back last night after missing 24 games. He's back for them. It's like, again, I'm not saying it's a good team, but it's a starting lineup of Isaiah Stewart, Jeremy Grant, Sadiq Bey, um, 
Cade Cunningham, and Corey Joseph. That's not trash. Right. That isn't that that isn't trash. And then you go to Sacramento for the next two, and De'Aaron Fox is currently out, but it's like an ankle sprain. I think within the next week he'll be back for those two games too. Tyrese Halliburton, Halliburton plays better without really Fox well. on the line. I agree with that, but I'm I'm just talking about my point is the Wolves in the past month played a bunch of good teams who are missing one of their best players. What might happen over these next four games is they're going to play bad teams who are at full strength. And that, I think, is what opens up the possibility. It's three road games, too. It opens up the possibility of going two and two in that stretch and it not being the worst thing ever. Right. Like, they, they they should. They should win three. They should win three of, of the four. Right. But if they do win two or somehow only one, like, that I think that will be well, then a factor all the people that we might who don't really over. believe that this team is a solid team will go back to where they I mean, but my point is the really careening care. the careening yeah. drives me crazy. Just keep your wits about you and understand that the season has a lot of weirdness all the time. Yes, well, Dan, it's also new to Timberwolves fans, man. It's like this is different. Like the careening is in part a product of this is the first time it's careened positively in you will say a, a it's long new, time. Yeah, but, but if they lose a game, everybody will go, same old Timberwolves, you know? Yeah, I don't think yeah, I will. Here's my point. The easy answer is without Dame, they better beat Portland. Well, Portland was 6-2. and two. I mean, yeah, the previous right. eight games. And it wasn't mm-hmm. uh, a total lollipop schedule. Um, For sure. And and the Nets still had Kyrie and Harden, and the Suns still had Book and CP. Like it's not, yeah. It and and they had Steph and Wiggins and stuff in Golden State. Like it's not, yeah. It, it wasn't lollipop. Right? And they played well against the Warriors and the Suns. People didn't want to hear that when I said it. You know, well, I mean, they didn't play well. Actually, I thought they played pretty well on defense. It's just that they wore out. If, yeah, no, no, I think that, that's I mean, a factor. I they, don't think they, they played well on defense, but I think it was because they were worn out. And they also, I mean, I will say it is accurate to say that um, Ant had a few, Ant had a bad game. Uh, I think against Phoenix, he just was really not, he was giving, he was, a really bad low man in that game. And for some reason he was on oh, defensively. Yeah. yeah. He was, he was the low man a lot that game for some reason. Because I, they I put Vanderbilt on Booker and McDaniels that, on Chris that's Paul. Right. See, so he was, was on Cam Johnson. Idea. I'd rather have Anton Booker and all. have Vando as the low man. Um, right. But good point. I totally forgot about that. Um, well, that leads to a bunch of problems in it's why Patrick Beverly is so critical. Exactly. Because if you don't have Patrick Beverly, you have to put McDaniels or Vanderbilt at the point of attack and McDaniels or particularly Vanderbilt are being guarded by a big on the other end. So now Vanderbilt can't crash the glass right. because he's got to get his ass back to guard Chris Paul right. or Devin Booker, right. you know? So it's, it, and Patrick in addition, Beverly is critical to this team boat, for a lot of reasons. Which is this thing I was trying to say to, uh, our ass Finch the other night and just, totally uh, had a brain meltdown and, and couldn't get out the question. But essentially, if you have D'Lo instead of Pat Bev, you mm-hmm. can't guard, you can't put D'Lo on book, but
but you at least have a guy who's saying what's happening while it's happening. If you don't have Pat Bev nor D'Lo, you don't have your on-ball guy and you don't have your perimeter communicator. And those two things totally screw up the other team because one, so critical. one is physical and one is communicative, which is really important. I mean, D'Lo's communication is very important to that defense because 100%. he's accurate. And one of the great surprises of me in finding out um, about NBA defenses is if somebody makes a call, you go with the call, even if the call is wrong most of the time. Right. And the fact is, is that D'Lo is quick enough to be the first call and smart enough to be the right call. But that's yeah. really important to have a guy, you know, if Cat is your first call, there's a chance it won't be right. And chance it won't be right. And who's to say maybe they won't even talk, you know? But the point being, right. if you have a communicator who is quick and accurate, that's the best kind of communication. That's why... Chris Paul is so good on defense, even though he doesn't play good defense enough anymore. Uh, well, it's why a lot of these good defenders, I mean, historic, I mean, even bigger names like Kobe and LeBron, you don't put on the ball right. because they see the back line so well. Exactly. And they can, one, communicate, two, play passing lanes. And obviously, D'Lo is nowhere near the athlete of those guys, but he, he, he has the ability to communicate. He fills that role. And, and he jumps those lanes pretty good. Exactly. He uses his length well there. And exactly. yeah, no, I mean, D'Lo, D'Lo defensively, well, him and Pat have both. You just, they're one perfect or both of them. They are synergy. They are, Pat Bev has the ball, <clears throat> D'Lo has the off man, and Pat Bev knows. Pat Bev is the one guy who knows if D'Lo's call is wrong and will do his own thing anyway. Um, yeah. But I mean, just, it's just a really, you know, right. it's, it's a great system. Um, so I think that the Phoenix game and the Golden State game, those teams move the ball in the half court so well. They're not that fantastic in transition. Not, neither one of them this year, it seems to me. I don't know what, they're, what the numbers are. But on their half court defense, I mean offense, they literally wore the Wolves out. I mean, they passed the ball until the Wolves got tired or until they scored, whichever came, you know, first. The, the off-ball screening by Golden State was kind of an alarm in a way to me, yeah. kind of like we've talked about the Washington game. Remember right, the Clippers right, games right, earlier? Right. Like, shit, this is something that, you know, maybe can be duplicated. And I don't know if the Wolves have the answer uh, Well, I mean, part of that is Golden State, it looked even better because Golden State didn't miss after a while. <laughs> I mean, they were like 11 for 15 on threes in like the second half or something. Some some ridiculous right. stat that, you know, you can't make 11 out of 15 threes in game simulated conditions, even without real games, you know. Right. So, bit, yeah, it was. Just no, no, they both converted. they both shot the crap out of the ball. The Wolves didn't do a good job of defending, but the they weren't line. terrible defend. It wasn't a bad defense. When I go went back and looked at both of those games, they were busting their ass. I mean, that's the thing. This team worked hard on defense. 
I don't know if I agree with that. All I right. think those are really bad games. I think those are really bad games defending the three-point line. But I am giving them the excuse that there wasn't Pat Bev and there wasn't D'Lo. And particularly the Phoenix game. I mean, that was a scheduled disaster. On the back-to-back, back, San Francisco right. on national TV and you go zone, to Phoenix. Right. Of course you're going to be, of course you're going to be, uh, you know, e- exhausted for that. So I'm not trying to, like, rip that, right, right. You know, that stretch. I just, I don't know. I, I It made me be like, oh, yeah. Pat Bev and D'Lo need them, or this team is not the defense we've been talking about. This, who they can this team has played terrible defense in that infamous Washington, Cleveland, Atlanta stretch, whatever that was. That, to me, was by far the low point of this team's defense. And I think the mm. second lowest point is much higher. I think that they've been generally pretty good on defense this entire season, Except, I don't disagree with except that. for that like week to 10 day period where, you know, I mean, it was, I think it was like mid- Atlanta, Atlanta, Cleveland and Utah. Right. Yeah. And, th- and wasn't there like a game like just before then that also they did, there was like a five game period where they just got waxed. It was yeah. like, Oh, okay. Um, well, I think Atlanta, Cleveland and Utah were all at home too. Yeah. And, and every one of them, you know, Atlanta and, uh, Utah shot the lights out from three-point territory, and Cleveland just and, and just killed them. Size, yeah. And Washington, see, I think Washington was at the beginning of that or the end of that. Beginning. I think it would have been a little bit before. I don't know. I actually think there's a decent gap between there. Okay. But point being is that there have been ways to puncture the Wolves' defense. Generally speaking, though, they work and they scramble. And when they have when they have the things they need a little bit of rest up close to full complement of their personnel, they're a good defensive team. That's why this month we look at, Oh, number one offense, you know, in, in the league. And that's so encouraging because they haven't been at full strength the whole time. And defensively you go, okay, you drop from like 10th in the first two months. And now you've been 18th this past month. And I don't attribute that, attribute that necessarily to defensive regression, but rather fatigue and the lack of D'Angelo Russell and Patrick. And don't forget offense. You know, I mean, when, when your team is scoring 118 points a game, which was, I think the, I think they were like 119 for a hundred possessions or something ridiculous. Um, If you give up a hundred, I mean, they won last night, 130 to 115. Mm Mm-hmm. Well, you know, I mean, now you know because you're cleaning the glass um, that 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 37 point fourth quarter was not indicative of the Wolves' defense. Um, right. Um, but also, I'm also saying that if you play a team, um, maybe not the Golden States or the Phoenixes, but if you play the Denver's and the Utahs, um, you allow fewer points if you're scoring fewer points. I think you'll keep those right. games close. Um, no, that is, that is, that is true. I think and there is, I guess a... what I'm saying is I think there's defense inflation. It's kind of like Brooklyn. Nobody really cares what Brooklyn's defense is when they have their full complement because they go, well, is it good enough to win? And as it turns out, well, it's pretty good anyway. But uh, That's kind of been the history of the Wolves in the past five years. Exactly. Too. Exactly. In part, I mean, particularly that Butler year. Right. 
Part of the reason why they were so terrible defensively was they were so effective. They were the third most effect, efficient defense in the in the NBA offense, offense in yeah. the NBA, yeah. And I think twenty fifth in defense that yeah. year. Um, but yeah, you those those things do always go hand in hand, and it's kind of like we're talking about with the pick and roll coverage. We're like, wait a minute, we there's context here, um, and and that's that's part of the context of this past month for the Wolves. This mm-hmm. is part of the reason they were 18th in defense was the fact that they were number one. They were crushing people, right? And and their turnovers they generated did not drop. Right. So you also care less about your defense if you're still getting turnovers that turn into runouts. I mean, you should care about it, but I think it's probably harder to care about your defense when you're getting a ton of turnovers and those are turning into you know points on the other end. So you're right. That is a factor. And I, I don't think either of us are sounding any sort of alarms about what the, the Wolves' defense has been because – as you've said, and Charles Barkley or Kenny Smith didn't, is the Wolves do have an identity, and that's the identity. Exactly right. I got a lot. Of, I mean, they have two or three components. It, it's the identity is is Finch's first principles. Now, mm-hmm. can they live up to their identity more often? I don't know. But it, it beats the hell out of the early Gerson Rosas identity of all threes and shots at the rim. And we try to stop that at the other end. Well, great. I was just too simple. Glad to hear it. Yeah. Um, how are you going to do that? Hundred <laughs> percent. Right. Yeah. No, it's uh, yeah. The identity of this team that is somewhat complicated fits a lot better, and and it's not. It, it's more so a product of what Finch has done with the personnel than I think it is of just the personnel who is on the roster. And that's not to totally take away from take away credit from Rosas of the personnel. I mean, he is the he one who's a great job. Vanderbilt. I've always yeah, been but, a defender but, of Rosas as a personnel guy. I, I just, I think even if we want to give that Rosas that credit, I think Finch deserves more credit without a doubt. for what he's done with. with without that. a doubt. All right, Britt, give me a, give me your prediction on these next four games. Three and one. I have no idea which one they'll lose, but they'll lose one. And right. um, I think it's possible they go two and two. Uh, if that happens, I think it's because they do something stupid. It may be, you know, that they get. Kind of like the Atlanta game. Yeah, they get wound up with the refs or they get. Right. Um, uh, they turn the ball over 26 times or they shoot mm-hmm. six for 40. From three. Or just don't take the opponent seriously. That this team's not beyond that. Right. Without a that, doubt. That's happened. But that's, uh, happened that's to, how they know, will a bunch of they will they won't take the opponent seriously by turning the ball over, bad shot selection, or indifferent defense. I think Dilo coming back would be a pretty important floor raiser for you know what this this four game stretch is going to be. I think there's a tendency for that doing something dumb. Right. It's going to happen more likely if D'Angelo Russell isn't, you know, he doesn't. And that's another thing. That. I mean, if you have Pat Bev and Cat in agitation mode, sometimes that's a little bit too much thunder and lightning, you know, <laughs> right. and, and, you know, your team gets drenched. Uh, right. So I think that D'Lo is, uh, is kind of like a, 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 a Guy who can stabilizing presence. Yeah. 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 Somebody who Brit, could... why don't you uh why don't you plug this zoom thing that you're doing with Mimpo oh, yeah. before the game? Yeah. Uh thanks. 
I've been trying to figure out ways, you know, MinPost has been nothing but great to me. They, they give me what I consider to be a nice amount of money. They let me write whenever I want to write. I didn't feel like today was a good day to write. So I said, I'm going to write on Friday. And they said, okay, great. If I said, I don't really want to write on Friday, I'll write next Monday. They would say, okay, great. Um, and a lot of people have talked about um, when I was temporarily out of work, when the uh, athletic was saying they couldn't do freelancing for three months, first three months of the season, a lot of people said, well, I'll contribute to your Patron. Go for it. And I'm, I am saying I don't have a Patron. I don't want a Patron. It's Patreon. Oh, Patreon? There you go. Patron's tequila. Yeah. Well, there you go. Uh, is, and that, is it spelled the same? <laughs> no. Uh, there you go. Anyway, continue, continue. All right. Point being, they do all the work in terms of getting my stuff up and banging the drum for me to the extent that they have a place people can go. Uh, and what I want to do is two things. I want to help men post out by driving more people to the site. And I want to also increase my own interaction with fans, uh, readers. People, I think, don't take me seriously when I say that I regard reader engagement as a huge part of my education, ongoing education. Um, not only is it good to get the overall pulse of what the fan base is feeling, but there are a handful to up to 20 really smart people that uh, I would not know of otherwise if I didn't openly engage them in conversation, either on Twitter or in my comments section. And so tomorrow night will be one of the two ways that I'm trying to drive more people to the site and get better engagement. One is a pregame Zoom. Uh, the game is at six. And the pregame Zoom is at five. It's not ideal. I know some people will still be at work or whatever. But if people want to sign on, I'm afraid, you know, you'll have to go to midpost.com and figure out how to do it because I don't know how to do it. But I don't think it'll be difficult. And uh, five o'clock, I'll start talking and engaging people, taking questions. If there's only 10 or 15 people, we'll just have a conversational Zoom if it's a lot more than that, we may open up a chat and I'll take written questions and decide which ones I want to do at the time. But the bottom line is have a conversation. I'll say a few things about what I think of the Detroit game and what I think of the team thus far. Um, and we'll just do that. And then the other thing that is more basic that a lot of people do is just do a mailbag. And I'll either do it through MinPost or through... Uh, Twitter, I'll just ask people for questions. And that'll probably happen once before the all-star break. I'll do a mailbag column and then uh, do one afterwards. And I don't know, it may come after the trade deadline too, since almost everybody's questions will be things I'll right. say, I don't want to do it, you know? So, <laughs> uh, but anyway, yeah. thanks. Uh, five o'clock tomorrow. Uh, yeah, I don't think you have Thursday. to do a lot of prep yeah. and um, just show up. It'll be some kind of Zoom thing that'll be monitored by somebody at MinPost that will facilitate it. You don't have to pay any money, but uh, I think you do. They they will have your name, uh, and they may bug you uh, 
to try to uh, join, but you know, it's it, it's not a big deal. And and I'll just say it, uh, you know, you're gonna you're getting my writing for free right now. They're the ones paying the freight. And um, if you respect my writing and you like what I do, then this is a good way to support it. And and you can, I mean, that's how Minpost is also funded. Is yeah is by yeah. Reader, if you want to contribute to Minpost, I'm sure they'll show you how. Um, you know, <laughs> right. it's a membership. Uh, but the stuff is, you know. By the way, there's really good stuff on the site. I'm proud to be there. They have a lot of good writers. They they're thoughtful. Local media between the Minnesota Reformer and the Sahan Journal and Minpost are three great places to get local news, and we're lucky to have them in our community. Yeah, I mean, well before I ever knew you in person, um, that's where I quote unquote got to know you uh, via writing, right? Or reading, you know, reading your writing, and I mean, and they were great when I, I wanted to go to the athletic, and the athletic was saying, you know, they were flirting with me, but they wanted me with a package with John, who was getting cold mm -hmm. feet. John was actually the one that said. I don't think I'll do this unless you join with me to do this right. together. And so I said, okay. Uh, and then John, John took a long time to decide, like, you know, <laughs> like a month. And so I had to go back to Midpost and say, hey, this is what I'm doing. I've been offered this right. job, but I'd like to keep writing until they make up their mind whether they, you know, whether John goes and if John doesn't go, whether they want me anyway. And they right. just said, keep writing where you are. And when it's time for you to leave, let us know. You know, right. I mean, how, you know, you can't bitch, you know, that's just a great well, It's just critical. It, 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 it makes it possible for someone, you know, like you or for a, as a lot idiosyncratic of as I am. I mean, I, I am, <laughs> I am easy to work with if you leave me alone, you know? Right. Right. Well, um, do go check out uh, Brit Zoom through minpost.com. Even if Brit can't try and uh, <laughs> solve the technology of it, maybe I'll take a look and I'll I'll, I'll tweet go. out yeah, a, a link of, of of it at that. I know if I took a look at it, took a stab at it, it yeah, I don't even want direction. you to try. Don't, yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't, <laughs> don't, don't. <laughs> uh, Brit, uh, appreciate you doing this. Uh, I'm looking at it here. I think maybe we can reconvene again. I think we'll reconvene again. Um, prior to the deadline, maybe right in the days okay. leading up to that. They, yeah, they play in Sacramento twice. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a fun time of year and it's fun because it's going to not just be trades that are about the future. Right. Which is always what, since I've been here, the, that's how we've approached, you know, the, the trade deadline is really future centric. And this is going to be, I mean, they're, they're probably going to be buyers. Right. I, I I've never covered a buyer team. Well, at, not only that, but deadline. you've got Daryl Morey in Houston and um, Presti in Philly, OKC. Yeah, yeah. You know, <laughs> yeah, it's. I don't know what I don't know what's you know. And, and those happen. two I don't guys, think a lot of them though, know. I mean, they're incapable of not mm. trying to shave another angle off a thing. Hundred oh, percent. <laughs> you know, and so there will. So be, it's coming. They will be involved in a lot of three and four player. I mean, team deals, I think, just because mm -hmm. they are like a bank for, you know, <laughs> for people for sure. during the trade deadline. And they know it. And so they know exactly what absorbing something will be worth. And 
as a result, things that nobody would think could be facilitated will suddenly be facilitated because some guy we barely know and like a Gupta, a Gupta in waiting. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> we'll, you know, right. we'll, we'll start heading to the thunder, you know? <laughs> right. Um, all right, Brett, you guys can, uh, you can follow Brit um, on Twitter at Brit Robson. Um, also, he will have a column if, if you can't make the Zoom. He'll have a column on, on Friday afternoon after that, that Detroit game. Read that there, Britt. I'll see you on Sunday at the game. And until then, I'm Dane at Dane Moore NBA on Twitter. Peace out. How I'm feeling, man, I hope it never stop, yeah. Green it hard so you can find me in the crowd, yeah, yeah. Don't let standards ever, ever bring you down, yeah. Hope you dancing like nobody else around, yeah. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.